Praise the Lord and welcome to the SeaTac online service for today. My name is David Harding and I am so happy to be a part of a ministry that keeps Christ at the center of it in everything that we do. I truly love what God is doing in this season for us as a church, us for the world and everything that is going on. I have to start off by giving honor to the coolest pastor, coolest dad that anyone could ever ask for, our pastor and also our first lady Harding. We give honor to you both and I appreciate you for the honor, the opportunity to give the word of God on this morning. Isaiah chapter 40, it speaks of the grass withering and the flower, the flowers falling, but the word of God enduring forever. I believe that God's word is true and it's pertinent and relevant for any season that we go through. And there's no other season than the time that we're in where we need the Word of God. I thank God for the opportunity that the Word of God is still being stretched and sent out to everyone amongst the world during this pandemic. If you could, with me right now, turn to John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. The Word that God has given for today is all about provision, and with the way our provision, trust in God for provision is something that we need and is very pertinent in our lives today. And I love chapter 6 because it explains everything that God, that Jesus is and what he did on this earth to show us that he was everything that we need. Verse 1 through 14. And it reads, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? This he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in this place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000, and Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Pray with me right now. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before the throne of grace right now as humbly as we can, asking you to be here with us, Lord, to let your word do what it's going to do, Lord, in our lives. Lord, open up our hearts, Lord. Change our hearts to fertile ground so that the, the seed of the word can be planted and that good fruit can come from it, Lord. Bless us, Lord. Bless the prayers of our people right now, Lord. Hear their prayers and everything that's going on in our homes, in our church, in our nation, Lord. 
Bless this word today. Bless me. Let me be a transparent tool that can be used by you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Saints of God, we are in, in a very interesting time in which we are seeing things that we have never seen in our lives. I, for the first time in a couple of weeks, was able to buy toilet paper. And I haven't been able to do that for a couple of weeks because it has literally be, been gone off of the shelves. The, the recent stay-at-home order, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was just a couple of weeks ago. But I remember the day that we heard that we would be in our houses for the next couple of weeks. I have to be, be honest with you. I ran to the store and I got everything that I could get. I got everything that I needed. I even got some things that I would never eat in my life because I had a fear that there would be a time that I would run out or my family would run out. We, we were constantly making sure as, as we were going through the store that our carts were piled and that in this situation, in this time of our lives, we never were in a situation or position of lack. See, all of us have this gnawing hunger within for both physical and spiritual things. We hunger for both food and material things and God and spiritual things. Our human nature keeps us from feeling a sense of satisfaction, which causes a constant need for provision. We never have enough. There's some stats on us never having enough. The first is an issue from Marriage and Divorce Journal stating that 70% of all Americans engage in some kind of affair sometime during their marital life, saying that one spouse, one relationship was not enough. In 2018, more than 67,000 Americans died from drug-involved overdose, saying that the life I have is not enough, the natural high is not enough, I need more. We have become a society that never has enough recognition for our egos and never has enough compliments for our self-esteem. It is in our nature to never truly be satisfied. And so we encounter Christ. We experience Christ, and we learn that trying to meet human needs by any other way but Christ will end in failure, and we will never be satisfied. So I thought that with my self-esteem issues, if I got a few more compliments, it would change how I felt about myself. Or if I bought this thing, my status would increase just a tad. Or if I did this to my appearance, I would feel a little better. But I found out that if Christ is not the cornerstone, of your core concept of yourself and your character, it will never be enough. But when he speaks over my life and who I am in him and what I have because of him, there's no shortage in this world that can disconnect me from my supply in Christ Jesus. He is always enough. Always enough. And so always enough is a fitting title for this sermon today. Because when we read the passages in chapter 6 of John, we see this collision of too much and not enough with Jesus Christ in the center. And God said, I want you to realize that with my spirit within you and the power of my word on your lips in Christ, who is always enough, in Christ who before all things existed was all things and now is the word made flesh to dwell among us, in Christ you are always enough. Say it with me, always enough. I don't know what little bit of bread that you have in your 
your pantry today, but I'll tell you that in the hands of the master, it will always be enough. Listen, wherever you are, look at your friend, look at your spouse, look at your child, look at your dog. If no one's with you, look at your mirror and say this, always enough. And so we, we see this passage that you might have heard in Sunday school or in children's church the passage of the miracle of five loaves and, and, and two fish. And it's the only miracle that's documented in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and you might have heard it before, but what God's word is, it's, it's alive and it's powerful and it's ever-changing in our lives depending on where we're looking. And as my perspective has changed and, and as I have grown in Christ Back in the day, I used to look at at it from the the view of the multitude, the people that were looking for a miracle. But as I have grown, I I, I tend to relate more to the disciples who were close to Jesus. And for this passage today, I want you to look at this from the perspective of the disciples. And what is happening in this passage is the disciples are going to learn that Christ is always enough. Enough. But in order for them to learn that, there are some things that they must do. And I want to talk to you today about those things that they had to do. And hopefully you can apply that to your life so that you can see the promises of God unfold in your life and provision be provided. The first of these things that the disciples had to do that we must do if we are to receive what God has promised us. And and I put... I put emphasis because God's promises are optional. I don't know if you knew that, but they they aren't participation trophies. Just because you read it in God's word doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to pertain to you. But I thought that God's promises never fail. Well, they don't, but the promise is always attached to a principle. And you cannot separate the promise from a process that creates it. And so in the word of God, it says that he promises to direct our path. But the process of direction from God is trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And in all your acknowledge him. He will guide you. He will give you direction. But you have to trust in him. You can't lean on your own understanding and you have to acknowledge him in everything that you do. You can't constantly live your life how you want to. Constantly living your life how you want to and expect God to cancel out the consequences of the life that you are living apart from God. God is not obligated to keep the promises if we do not meet the condition first. So guidance from God is produced by a process, and so is provision. And we see both of these are in the passage for today. But what we must do to receive all that God has to supply is first know him. I ask you, ask, your question, ask yourself this question, how well do you know Christ? How well do you know him? See, Paul writes in Philippians, He says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. There is so much value in knowing someone. In society, we stress that it's not so much what you know, but it's more who you know. And I have seen in my life, 
and maybe you and yours that the people that you know could potentially lead to your next job. The people that you know could potentially lead to your next spouse. The, the people that you know could potentially lead to your next blessing. So there is so much value in knowing someone. And there's ultimate value in knowing Christ, our Savior. Getting Christ, it would be our main goal. It should be. And, and we see in this time of lockdown or quarantine, whatever you're calling it in this time, we've had some time to step back and get to know some people around us. We've had time to get to know our wives. I've had some time to get to know my wife, uh, and, and I love her even more from it. I've gotten a chance to know my daughter even more, who is growing every day, and I'm learning she gets a little attitude sometimes. Sometimes she gets a little spicy. But it's all from me knowing her, and I learned that there's joy in the knowing. It should be the same with Christ. Over these last couple of weeks, I've been able to, to get in the Word a little more and to pray a little more, and I have enjoyed every little bit of it, but it's all because of I've made time for Him. And getting to know Christ is, is something that should be on our main priority list. Growing in Him every day is, should be something that we make the first in our to-do list. Knowing Christ, we see, is actually the contrast and the difference between the multitude that was looking for miracles in Christ and the disciples. See, the multitudes were coming from all over. They walked miles just to be in the presence of Christ. But they came because of what they heard he could do. They came because they've seen miracles out of him. And so they did not necessarily know him, but they knew about him. And there's nothing wrong with knowing about Christ. It's just not necessarily as intimate and not exactly as close as knowing Christ himself. But you see, the contrast is the multitude know about Christ, but the disciples actually know Christ. See, the disciples spent day in and day out learning about Christ, knowing Christ, Lord, getting to know him, seeing his miracles, seeing how he operates. And we see that because of this, because of the knowing, this passage hits different for them than it does for the multitude. And, and we see in, in the passage that Christ prays for the bread, prays for the fish, and then he breaks, and then he distributes it to the disciples. And see, see, because God knew them, and they knew God, they knew what needed to be. They knew what needed to happen in the situation so that it could happen. And we see that through knowing God, things change. And when we experience life with Christ, our desires change. And it moves from a desire to see what God can do for you to seeing what God can do through you. And we see this with the disciples. And we see it in our lives that most of us have come to the church with hopes of being healed, with hopes of being prayed for, with hopes in finding financial blessing in the Lord, with hopes of finding salvation in the Lord, which is not a bad thing. We all find something in Christ that we need, but as we change, God wants to have a willing vessel that has grown in him that can be used by him. He wants to do the miracle. And through knowing Jesus Christ, we understand he has the power to the miracles in your life. But what he wants to do is he wants to distribute the miracle through you. The bread and the fish, yes, it was prayed for by Jesus. The miracle happened by Jesus, but it was distributed by the disciples. 
how well you know him, how close you are. The anointing over your life is going to determine how his miracles are distributed in this season. How well do you know him? How much do you believe him? How much do you trust in him? Because later on in John, he says, truly, truly, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Continue to seek his face once life returns to some normalcy. Will you still make time for him? Will you still pray to him? Will you still read his word? I ask you to keep it going because the world needs distributors of his word. The world needs distributors of his miracles. The word needs us to preach the gospel. The world needs us to show love to a neighbor. The world needs us to show the light that he has shined down through us. How well do you know him? See, how well you know him can either limit or push you into the provision of God. And we see through knowing God, it energizes our soul. It elevates our thoughts. It emboldens our courage. And it ultimately deepens our faith and trust in him. And we see that in knowing Christ and being close to him, he will test your faith. Listen, I thought when we would get saved that life would get better. Life would be easy. Life would be all daisies and roses. But can I tell you that when you have faith, it will be tested. Because Jesus, in this moment, while the multitude is everywhere around him, his disciples by his side, he asked the question, where shall we buy bread that these many eat? In our lives, we see that lack and crisis, and the hard times, becomes this thermometer to our And where it does not particularly dictate our faith, it should not dictate our faith, but it will show our level of faith in Jesus Christ. There are many things that factor into your faith. And I believe that Philip and Andrew in this text, the disciples that are worded that have say in this chapter, in this verse, they distribute the different ways that you can look at faith, the different perspectives that you, that you can have. And, and I really relate with Philip, and, and those that know me know that I am a very facts-oriented person. I want to know the facts. I want to know how much it is. I want to know how much the interest rate is. I want to know how long I'm going to be paying on it. I want to know how big it is. I want to know the size of it. I want to know everything. I want to know every detail. And some people get mad at me because, hey, David, just let it happen. But no, because it's going to be a financial responsibility, and it, we can't just jump in kind of know what's going on. I know every detail before I get into any situation. Now, if, if we were filling this glass, you know, uh, what being fact-oriented can do is being fact-oriented can lead into a pessimistic uh, outlook or perspective on faith. A pessimistic outlook on faith that looks at this glass and, and sees, okay, I'm trying to fill it all the way to the top. I'm trying to make it get all the way up to the top, and I see, okay, yeah, this is good. This is our starting point. There is some liquid in here. There's something in here, but this is how far we have to go. And, and when you're fact-oriented, you're not so much worried about what's down here, but you're worried about the emptiness up here. When you're fact-oriented, you look at the holes in life. When you're fact-oriented, you see everything that needs to be done in life. When you're fact-oriented, you 
develop this pessimistic look where you're constantly focusing on what you don't have and you neglect what you do have. See what a pessimistic outlook or perspective of faith can do? What a pessimistic faith does is it forgets God's glorious power. What a pessimistic faith does is it believes that the problem is too big or too small for God to be interested in. A pessimistic faith fears that God's power will fail and the person's faith will be weakened because, God, I'm nervous about asking you for this prayer, Lord, or asking for this blessing, or healing my, my relative that's on a sickbed. But, Lord, if I put all my faith in you and you don't come through like I want you to, will my faith still be the same? It's the pessimistic outlook of faith that makes us look to others for advice that makes us look to other people around us that makes us post our problems on social media looking for answers instead of first going to Christ for the answer when you have a pessimistic perspective on faith you will all only see every problem you will only see every obstacle and this is Philip Philip is like Christ look I know we got a big multitude here but Let's let them go somewhere and grab something to eat. It's Passover time. We don't necessarily need to feed them. They're good. Let them go eat. They can come back for second for night service. They can get their miracle there. But go ahead and let them get some food. Philip is more looking at the numbers, but this pessimistic view is a contrast to Andrew. Andrew, who goes out as soon as he sees the multitude, he goes out and finds this little boy, this boy that has five loaves and two fish. And what Andrew does is he brings this young man to Jesus with his lunch. And you have to go into it believing that he was only going to use this lunch to feed himself. He had no idea that he would have to feed a multitude over 5,000 people. But what he did was he brought what he had to Christ. And what Andrew did is he saw this little bit and he brought it to Christ and said, Lord, I don't know what this is going to do, but I'm offering it to you right now. See, this is the optimistic perspective on faith. And the optimistic perspective on faith looks at this glass and sees it as half full instead of half empty and it says that okay it's a little bit in here but in the hands of the father I know that he can multiply I know that he can increase and I know that if I give it to him he'll make sure that everything I need is there who has an optimistic view on their faith that says in this time I'm not going to focus on the lack that in this time I'm not going to focus on if my stimulus check is in or not I'm going to focus on what I have and what I'm going to do is I'm going to offer it to Christ because I know in the hands of the father he's going to make it enough always enough increasing our faith increasing our faith lord we have to increase our faith lord bless us change our hearts so that we don't make our decisions based off reason but we make our decisions based off the revelation of you christ and while we are giving what we have we must trust in the power and the provision of god so I don't start with what I see. I start with what I know. I start with knowing that Jesus Christ is the provider. I start with knowing that, that Jesus has done things in my past. See, Andrew was remembering. He was looking back over his life. He was looking back in the past over all the times, all the days, all the he had journeyed with Jesus, and Jesus proved himself that he could handle the situation and that he knew what he was doing. 
Jesus knew what he was doing. And we see this, we know that he knew what he was doing because later on in the chapter, we see that Jesus had multiplied the bread and the fish. Some other things happened in the the multitude follows him even further, looking for even more of a miracle. And this is when he gives the first of his I am statements. The first of the I am statements, and there's this background of the I am that we see in the Old Testament. It is a sacred text. These two words, I am, in the background of this phrase is so sacred that it is the very name that God gave Moses when Moses wanted to know how. Now, God did not give the answer of how. And a lot of times we have a question of how this is going to get done. But what he gives is the answer to who. And the who that he gives them is I am. I am what you need. I am, so he performs this miracle. He feeds the people and then he reveals his identity. And he says something very challenging to the Jewish audience. He says, I am the bread of life. If you're hungry, I am enough for every appetite. Do you believe this? Or do you have to go outside of God to find every need that you have? I am the bread of life, he says. So what you're searching for. I am the supply. What you need, I am. The next thing he, he refers to is the darkness in the chapter of John. And I love John because this is where you find a lot, all seven of the I am statements that he speaks at this time. And, and what it goes into next is it says that for the time that you live in confusion, in the darkness that you live, I am the light. I am the light of the world. There will never be so much darkness that my light cannot guide your path. The world will never get so dark that the witness of a unified church will not shine brightly the love of... T it says that you are a light on a hill, and it's not your light, this light that cannot go out. It's the light of Jesus shining through you. And it goes on and it talks about more I am statements. And he says that I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastors. Pastors, because if you see the Lord as your Lord and Savior, you are a sheep to him. And he's going to make sure that you are okay because he says later that I am the good shepherd. And when I am the good shepherd, he gives life to the sheep. He gives life to the sheep because later he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me Though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Because later on he says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way. The only truth, the only way to life. Because no one can come to the Father except through me. He is always enough because of his identity. He is enough because of who he is. And if you have a relationship, if you have a connection to him, if you believe in him, if you have faith in him, he will always make sure you have what you need. Because the last one I love, he says that I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Because of who he is, you always have enough. I don't know what you have. I don't know what your lack is at home. But I'm telling you, the little bit of happiness that you have in your relationship, I'm asking you to bring it to Jesus and watch what he does. The little bit of finances that you have, bring it to Jesus and see what he does. The last little bit of patience that you have in your marriage, bring it to Jesus. 
Jesus and see what he does. The last little bit of patience that you have with your children, take it to Jesus and see what he does. The last little the, the perspective of yourself, the little bit of self-esteem that you have, take it to Jesus and see what he does. The happiness, the happiness that you have in the midst of all the depression, take it to Jesus and see what he does with it. Because when we have faith that he is the provider, all our needs are met when we look to him. I may not have a lot. I may not have a lot to offer. But Lord, I'm going to pass it over to you because I know I'm in good hands. And so at the end of this text, we see that the miracle has been done. The people have been fed. And Jesus tasked the disciples with going, taking your basket and pick up all of the, the scraps, all, everything that was left over. And in your lives, during the crisis, during the lack, in the situations we go through, once all the dust clears, you've already offered your sacrifice. You've offered everything that you have. Once dust clears, God is always going to make sure that you have enough. And the 12 disciples go around, and, and at the end, there's 12 baskets full there's 12 baskets full for each disciple, one for each disciple. Whatever you're going through in this season, you're going to need Jesus because he's the only one that can quench the thirst that you have. He's the only one that can provide for the hunger that you have. He is the bread of life. And through, though, if we understand that the provision is him itself, we know where to look. All we can do is give him what we have and let God do the rest. Pray with me right now. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask you to see our hearts, Lord, to see our situations. Lord, although we are being tested in this time, Lord, we are being stretched and pulled in directions that we thought we would never be pulled, Lord. Help us to have faith in you. Help us to take what we have and give it to you and watch you work the way you've worked in the past, Lord. We know that you've come through for us in the past, Lord. Give us a remembrance of the power that you have, Lord. Let us find our provision in you, Lord. Bless us, Lord, in this time. Multiply what we have and make it enough because we are enough and there's always enough in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Listen, although the doors of the church might not be open to crowds, we believe that Jesus' salvation, the, the blood that he shed, is still very active. If you have not repented, I ask that you repent right now where you're at. If you have not been baptized in Jesus' name, I ask you to call this church. Call the church, and we will make sure it gets happened however we can. The number is 513-863-8239. The number is 513-863-8239. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, we'll pray with you. We're here for you in the church. We believe that ministry still has to happen in this time of crisis. Listen, we love you, and we're here for you, and the word of God is always going to be true, and he loves you as well. We hope that this word has encouraged and inspired you, and we hope that you have a very blessed week. God, Praise the Lord. Thanks for watching with us today. We hope that you were inspired and encouraged. Now, if you would like to help support the ministry, there's a few things that you can do. First, you can pray for our ministry, the church, your community, and our leadership. We don't take the prayers for granted. We need them. You can also share. Share this video to everyone that you know, your friends and your family. And lastly, you can give. 
There's a few ways that you can give. You can visit our website at ctac513.org or you can text the phrase CTAC513 to the number 77977. Thanks again and God bless.